I think it's Isaiah 45, but I'm trying to make sure. And my phone won't do a search. Well, I don't know where it's found. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it. We just looked at it last week, and now I can't find it, and my trusted Google is not working. <laughs> oh, well. God said in Isaiah, I create evil. He said in, in uh, Amos, can two walk together except for they be agreed except they be agreed. If there is evil in the city, have I not done it? Forty-five, seven. All right, so let's let's read it together. Why is the problem of evil a problem? I think it's going to boil down to a problem of language. I form the light; I create darkness. I make peace; I create evil. I, the Lord, have done all these things. That's the sovereignty of God. Uh, the Westminster Confession says, God has ordained whatsoever has come to pass. If it happens, God has ordained it. Uh, that's the Westminster Confession. Uh, we cannot approach the Bible without saying something like that. Romans 8.28. How many things are working together? And who's working them? All things are working together, and God is the one working them. For good, and that's an important piece of that. So we've been dealing with the problem of evil, and now we're going to get into the language portion of that. But we've described uh, just what the problem of evil is, as far as the world thinks, they have this nice little syllogism. If God is, um, if God is omnipotent, he would be able to prevent evil. If he was good, he would want to prevent evil. But evil exists, therefore God is neither omnip either not omnipotent or not good. And since Christians believe God to be omnipotent and good, the, Christ the God which Christians believe in does not exist. That's, that's the meat of the problem of evil argument. It's a silly argument logically because we believe much more about our God than he's just omnipotent and, and, and omnibenevolent uh, or all good. He's also all wise and an all wise God may and an all loving God may have good reasons for allowing suffering to exist or even bringing evil uh, for a moment uh, for a greater good. And once you introduce all that we teach about God, uh, the logical issue fades away. 
There is no logic to their argument. It's a false dilemma. That's all it is, logically. But it's emotionally effective because we hate suffering. <laughs> none of us like to suffer. Uh, none of us like bad things that happen. Right now, I'm grumbling over the fact that I'm going to have to get a new roof for my house. Why? Because the wind comes and destroys things and, and, uh, and, and, and things like that. We, none of us like to suffer. Uh, none of us like for bad things to happen. And just like C.S. Lewis and his toothache, it kept him from writing more about why evil happens. <laughs> uh, we, we have a hard time talking about it. It's emotional. We see a tsunami. We see an earthquake. We see, we, we, we see uh, people suffering at the hands of evil men, and we say, why? And that why begs the question. So we talked about the nature of evil. What is evil? Evil, well, it's not an illusion, uh, that doesn't answer the problem of evil. It just makes it, it just, uh, well, it blames the victim all the time. If you, just, if you would just think right about stuff, then, then you would have all, all this, uh, all the, I mean, none of this stuff would happen. You just realize it's all an illusion, uh, like Buddhism, realize the spoon doesn't really exist. Uh, but illusion, uh, some people say an illusion, it's not an illusion. It's not non-being or privation uh, that's just natural to everything that exists that is not the perfect goodness of God uh, tending towards non-existence or non-being. It's not this uncaused thing. It's a caused thing, and it was caused, at least the evil that you and I experience on a day-to-day -day basis, was caused by God. There is a real curse that exists. And why does that curse exist? Because mankind chose to sin. They chose to break God's law. And therefore a curse, a real, very real evil exists among mankind. Natural evil and uh, like natural evil like disease and tsunamis exist. Thorns, briars, pain, they exist. And there are reminders of the very real curse that is on this world. And moral evil. Man was given to his sin and given to death. And mankind, ever since Adam, has been born dead in sins. That's their bent. Their bent is away from God and toward sin. And therefore, evil men do evil things. Cursed men do evil things in this world. And, but God is. So ultimately, all of this is based upon the curse that God really put on this world. Now, you don't blame God for a murderer being a murderer or committing a murder. But God did curse this world, and there are moral sinners that are walking after their own lust all around us. There's moral evil, there's natural evil, and what does it say in Ephesians? Ephesians 2, uh, verse 1. It always takes me a little bit to catch up to where we are, sorry. 
uh, Ephesians 2, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's what everyone is who is not saved. In times past, what are they doing? Dead in trespasses and sins. They're walking according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past by the, in the lust of our flesh. So this is us before we're saved. We were living according to this way, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath even as others. And that is what God saved us from. People are sinners. Cursed world filled with cursed sinners. Why did evil things happen? And we always have to come back to who brought the curse. And why did he bring the curse? So the nature of evil. Evil is a very real thing. And it's a very real thing that a righteous God brought into the world for the purpose, for greater purposes. But due to mankind breaking his laws. So we discussed that, and we discussed some problems. That we, then we saw the greater good defense. And this is a very important defense to have. There's various forms of the greater good defense, but we discussed the greater good defense that God is bringing greater good. Uh, whether what, what, there's, there's, uh, there's good that God brings out of evil. For instance, He disciplines His servants. He, perver- he uses the perverse preserve his servants. He, he uses it to teach his say, but he uses it to enable witness, uh, to, judge, uh, to judge the wicked in history, to, uh, to, uh, to bring people to life to come, to bring, forward, bring forth and reward persecuted believers, and so on and so forth. There is reasons that God has for bringing, a greater, uh, uh, bringing evil, and those are for the greater good. Now we're going to have to beg the question here of the language that we use to talk about this. So, natural evil, and I would say the existence of continuous moral evil as well, and I'm again using John Frame as kind of the springboard, uh, as well as the state of man being lost, uh, is the curse of God in response to man's sin. And we've seen when we talked about providence, we, 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 and we said we were going to come back to the subject. What is God's agency in the world in bringing evil things that happen around us? Uh, this is the problem that theologians have had. Uh, God hardens hearts like Pharaoh's and brought evil. He brought evil to bring them out, of course. He had greater good in doing so. And he had a lot of good in judging the wicked nation of Egypt through Pharaoh. And all these things, he had reasons, but he hardened Pharaoh's heart. He is working in, even in sinful decisions that are happening, like Joseph's brothers throwing him into a pit, beating him up, taking his coat, selling him into slavery, all these things. God is working in those. Now, theologians have found it very difficult to formulate just the right words to describe this 
because the problem is, is no matter what the word is, we have to deal with the idea, is God to blame for evil things that happen? And that's ultimately the problem. And the problem is one of language. Uh, so we could, people have argued that, that evil is uncaused. God does not cause evil. In fact, part of the privation theory or the idea of evil being non-being is that God did not create evil. He created all good, and there is a sense in which that is true. Um, but that evil is an uncaused thing. God did not cause it. It just happens. Now, I don't know about you, but every evil thing I've ever done in my life, I did for a reason. What was that reason? I wanted to. It wasn't uncaused. It was because I wanted to. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, in his, uh, in his book uh, about uh, the freedom of the will, said... What we believe about freedom is this. People will always do what they want to do. And what do they want to do? Ephesians 3, or Ephesians 2, we just read it. What do, e well, what, what do people naturally want to do? They want to sin. And they don't want to repent. They don't want God. Romans 3, right? There's none good. No, not one. There's none that does righteous. No, not one. There is, they're all gone out of the way. They've all become filthy. They've all done these things. When we talk about freedom, uh, when we talk about choices to do wrong, we do wrong because we want to. It's not uncaused, like we're sitting there, we're just walking around, and bam, we decide to kill somebody. Uncaused. Nothing caused that decision. No, our sinfulness our inclinations to do what we want to do most, if we could. So, we cannot say that our evil decisions are uncaused. They just happen, and that's the privation theory is, uh, assumes this, this libertarian freedom, that every choice happens in a vacuum, without any influences, without any... Any, uh, anything pushing it or egging it on, that we're not naturally lost, that we're just this blank slate. Every decision we make is just comes from this completely blank slate. And that just don't make sense. There are causes for our sinfulness. But then, the Arminian, this gets into that Arminian-Calvinism debate, steps back and says... You're making God the author of evil because the reason you're saying that I, am, that I desire sin is because God cursed us. And therefore, God, you're making God the author of all evil. And you're also saying, saying that God is using those evil things and bringing those evil things to pass or even permitting or allowing those evil things to pass for X, Y, Z, for these reasons. So therefore, God caused Pharaoh to sin. God caused uh, uh, Jacob's brothers to sin. 
uh, God caused Pilate and the, and the Jews uh, who crucified Christ to sin to bring these things to pass. Is God to blame for those actions? And this is the, this is the theological problem that we have to learn how to talk about. The easy thing to do is just to say, well, God doesn't cause it. Everything, everything is an uncaused decision, and that's not right. Let's take Job, for instance. We've used Job a lot. You can't read the first couple of chapters of Job and not see that God is the ultimate bringer of all these things upon Job's life. Was our agency beside? Was there the devil at work? as well and he allowed to de- the devil to go forward and he allowed the devil to uh to uh to cause the sabians to come and kill all the servants and take all the sheep and and things of that nature yes but job saw it rightly he sat down ran his garments sat down and said the Lord gave, and the Lord took away. And he didn't sin in saying that. He didn't sin in saying that God did it, but who's to blame? Who's to blame for the Sabians coming and killing all the servants and stealing all the sheep? There's sin, there's sin happening there. Is God to blame for that sin? So it gets into the, this, this language problem. Now, how do we talk about evil with respect to God? Well, there's various words that theologians have wrestled around with. And they're all problematic in various ways. And they represent kind of that Arminian-Calvinism debate. Uh, which each have something good to say in this debate. But what verb best describes God's agency in the evil that happens in our world? Here's some words that have been thrown, verbs that have been thrown out. He authors, brings about, causes, controls, creates, decrees, foreordains, incites, includes within his plan, uh, makes happen, ordains, permits, plans, predestines, predetermines, produces, stands behind or wills these things to happen. Those are a lot of verbs. Do you see any problems with us using that, using these terms when we're talking about evil in this world? Frame takes some time to talk about three specific terms. And I think that they're, they're good to kind of sum up how the problem is shaped. One, let's say that we use the word author. We use that as a verb, not as a noun. The author of this book is a noun. <laughs> That's using it as a noun. But authors, he... Pers- a sense of 
prescribing it in some way, shape, or form, or writing it to be. I, I watched a play last night, and one of the things that uh, that uh, the main character kept bringing out, uh, just because I'm a character in this book doesn't mean I have to do what is written to me or something to that effect. Uh, uh, and that's how we view those things. Uh, so the, the use of this word. Uh, and the, the term author is almost, the, the, using the verb author is almost universally condemned in all theological literature. And it's rarely defined because the problem is, is once you say author, we think that we have to also add blame. Who's the blame? Well, the one that authored it is the blame. Uh, so, but, and, and we have shied away from using this word. A Westminster Confession, for instance, the, one, the same confession that said uh, God brings forth all things that come to pass, also goes on to say He is neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin. And the Arminians, on the other theological side, regularly charge those that held Calvinistic beliefs of saying that this makes God to say these things that God brought this curse into the world, uh, that there is a very real curse, mankind is really lost, mankind is really bent towards evil, there really is all this natural evil that happens, and God is using all these things to bring about greater good. To use those is to make God the author of sin. Anybody ever heard that? You're making God the author of sin. Am I the only one? (laughs) All right, I guess I'm the only one. Uh, because we're saying that he approves it and therefore deserves blame. Did God approve what Jacob's or Joseph's brothers did to him? No. Did God use it? And that's the problem, is when we're using this verb, people automatically connect this with blame for the issue, blame for the cause. Consider Pilate. I want you to consider what God, what Christ said to you. Did Pilate choose to sin in the matter of executing Jesus? Now, what did Jesus say? He said, you could not do anything unless it was given to you from above. God allowed Pilate to sin for his reasons. So, look, and what does it say about all that? It says God foreordained it, ordained it. And we can't escape these words by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you took and with wicked hands destroyed. And that same Jesus God made Lord over all. So, it's inherent in our biblical language. What Pilate did, Pilate did because God gave it to him to do. That was Jesus' own surmisings of the, of the issue. And Libertarian freedom is, it has a hard time struggling with the text. Now, 
I understand that we come to this and we have to say, well, is God to blame? Did, did Pilate do what he was doing because it was written that he would do it? There, there's, there's that old... Um, There's that old uh, idea of in Islam where, where if a man does the works of the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of Allah, they would say, uh, all his life, and it was written that he would be evil and be cast away, then, what would, then on the very last days of his life, that which was written of him would catch up with him and he would be cast out of the kingdom. Do we, do we see things like that? No, we don't see things like that. Um, we, we don't see that. I, I once ran into a man uh, at, the hos- at the hospital down in Texas uh, when I was down there with one of the young men. And um, I, was, I, I had a track and I gave it to him. And he says, I can't be saved because I'm not one of God's elect. What do you say to that? That God, that God has determined already that I cannot be saved. That everything has been written of me and I am just doing. Is there no culpability for that man? So there is this. This, this becomes the struggle for us to talk about it. Uh, so to deny the charge or to charge God with wickedness on the account of sinful human actions is not open to Bible-believing Christian. We, we, but we also see God's causation working in these things. He is holy, He is blameless, and He always has good purposes. Did He have good purposes for giving to Pilate the power to execute Christ? course he did was Pilate culpable for the decision of course he was and that's what we have a hard time talking about um, here's another term so author here's another term causes God causes these things to come to pass again when we hear this we want to add well this must mean that God is to blame for these things coming to pass And in the Thomistic tradition of privation, uh, that's how people would solve, would, would see this. They would argue, well, God doesn't cause evil. God, uh, it just, it's just uncaused. It, it, it happens because, because they depart from that which is good uh, and tend towards that which, is, which God had not created. Um, I'm not going to take time to read some of the quotes and things of that nature, but the the uh, the overwhelming the overwhelming uh, theological uh, the, uh, theologians overwhelmingly rejected trying to use that word causes. Does God cause evil things to come to pass? Uh, and the answer would be no, because that insinuates blame. But let me ask you this, biblically. 
What's the difference between God causing and God ordaining? Calvin himself said, For the proper and genuine cause of sin is not God's hidden counsel, but His evident will of men. Uh, and he went on to say, But it is not without God's knowledge or ordination. See the problem we have talking about this. So God ordained that Jesus Christ was going to be crucified, but we still say they wickedly did this, this, and this. That is the problem. And we'll, we'll, we'll reach various, various uh, and I'm stumbling over my words today, and that's because you all are making me nervous, <laughs> I guess. Did Adam ordain, did, Adam, did, did God ordain Adam the fall? Those, those are the questions that we have a hard time answering. And because that basically, the only real problem of evil we have is that first sin. After that, after that we're just dealing with God's righteous, God, God righteously judging all things and in the midst of that judgment, bringing greater good from it and all greater good... Uh, greater good out of those things by, by governing all things that happen and within that cursed world. But did God ordain that? I, I make little chicken notes here and I can't read the chicken notes. And what I, at some point, thought it was really important to talk about. Uh, but this is just a difficult... Uh, what my point is, is this a difficult aspect to bring all this about to talk about all this so going back here it's interesting on Calvin's remarks Calvin brings up this idea of the difference between between proximate and remote causes uh, for instance, we have the proximate cause of wicked men stealing Job's goods. We have the remote cause of God, of God working these things through, uh, through the spiritual warfare of Satan for these things to come about. Is it hot in here, or am I the only one? Bill, can you turn those down or turn those off? Please? All right, because it's burning up, and turn some fans on. Whew. So, so we would say that the wicked men that stole Job's goods and killed his servants, by the way, uh, were the proximate cause, and God was only the remote cause. As, but even that becomes problematic. Here's how we must talk about it, I believe. And like I said, I don't think we need to challenge this idea that men are culpable for their sins. If Thomas decides to go uh, shoplift today, I'm not saying you're going to, <laughs> Thomas is not going to blame God and say, well, God caused me to shoplift. Who, 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 did, who caused Thomas to shoplift? 
All right, Thomas did. Why? Because Thomas wanted the bubble gum or whatever, whatever it is he took. Uh, we, we, what we don't naturally talk about, and I'm getting ahead of myself talking about, because uh, I want to go back to this idea of offering, because I think that's still the best way to talk about these. But, but we, don't, we don't blame God for the sinful things, but we do allow for God, for God to bring those things about. Maybe God wants Thomas in jail. So, so someone can hear the gospel or something like that. I, I don't know. But, but, but the point is, is the cause of his sin, the cause of his, sin, his sinful inclination is what Thomas wanted to do. God using that and allowing that to happen is God taking those evil things and working them for a greater purpose. We don't set aside the culpability of the sinner in saying that God is using the sinner. We don't say that is God actually committing the sin. So we, we, we don't have to wrangle around with this, uh, with this proximate remote idea and remote ideas of John Calvin. Uh, he, let's go back to Adam. That, that is the real kind of bugaboo, if you would. So here's Adam. What caused Adam to sin? And how do we talk about Adam's sin? Or for that matter, the devil's sin. Because the devil wasn't a sinner before he decided to sin. And God didn't create Adam as a sinner, right? God allowed the devil, God allowed man to be tested. Is God to blame for them failing the test. In fact, uh, he neither compelled them or prescribed their fall. In fact, we see that God did everything to prevent in this probationary in this probationary existence to prevent it. And in fact, what did God do? God, first of all, said, gave him all good things. Every tree of the garden you may freely eat. This is all yours. He gave him far more than he withheld. And then he gave him a clear command. He gave them special revelation and said, to set up the probationary uh, uh, reality, don't do this. And what did man do? Did you turn them both off? No, turn the heat off. All right, thank you. So, God actively resisted the idea that they would sin. And here they are, perfect examples, one from the spiritual realm, the devil, every precious stone, his covering, the most perfect human being in the most perfect environment. God did not cause them to sin. Did God know before he created them that they would make that choice? Yes. Did God, did God know before creation that he would need to provide a salvation for them? Yes. But God didn't cause it. In fact, he was actively resisting it and lovingly 
responded to it. So there's the term author, there's the term causes. And how about this? This is probably the one that we would use the most. God permits this to come to happen, these things to happen. What I'm hoping to do is just hoping to show you that the, that the language, while it's clear in our minds, the language is hard to use to describe it. So if we use the idea of God permitting, what does this happen? This amounts to a denial that God is in any way, God, God in any way has brought sin, allowed God, things to come to pass. He is solely permitting these. He is giving permission for those sins to happen. Uh, how, or we gotta we gotta clean this up here, uh, real quick, fast, and in a hurry. Uh, so, so the problem is, is this runs in, in, into again the clear the clear declarations of Scripture that He has ordained things for good. Again, Romans 8.28, He works all things for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Um, so, and when, when we talk about, we can't really talk about mere permission of God. Uh, did God permit the devil to do the things that God, or that he did to Job? Did God want those things to happen? Well, Job says, uh, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. He saw the causation in, uh, he saw causation in God without blame. Permission, whatever we say about permission, is very efficacious of God. Did God want Christ to be crucified? Is that, that may be a little clearer. I, I've misstated that last one. Uh, but did God want Christ to be crucified? Yes, it was His will for Christ to be crucified. So whatever permission He gave was a very efficacious permission because He had foretold before all the world, before they even created the world, that this is going to happen. And it was going to happen. So I, I don't want to cloud this up, but let's look at one verse and then I want to just give, the, give, give an analogy and we'll be making a couple observations in the next two or three minutes and we'll be done. But Proverbs 16.9, let's talk about the difference between God, work, God working things, even evil things, for good, and who's to blame for the evil things. I've shared this verse with you a lot of times. And ultimately, this was right smack dead in the middle. It's neither to the right side or the left side of the Arminian-Calvinism debate on this issue. Proverbs 16.9 says, Man's heart devises his own way. Like Thomas stealing the bubblegum. <laughs> Man's heart devises his own way. But God directs his steps. You know, people are sinning and what, or desire, sitting around desiring to sin all the time. 
All right, there, there, there are hundreds of people right now that, are, that would commit adultery if they could, but circumstances don't allow them. But, wanna, but the one that does, God allowed it to happen. Why? For his good. For good. We're all culpable of sin. Man's, who's making the decisions to do the evil things in this verse? Man's heart is. The blame can't go any further than that. Then man's heart deciding to do. Whether or not it actually comes to pass, whether or not this consequence or that consequence happens, who causes that? God. So this verse, no matter what, what, what we talk about, what verbs we use, this verse outlines who has the blame, and who's working the greater good? Who's, who's, who's captain of the circumstances? There are hundreds of sins that I plotted in my mind that never happened because God put this wall in front of me or that wall in front of me, and I never could happen, thank God. And there are so a lot of sins that I contrived in my mind that I wanted to do that God did allow me. And thank God, He brought me to a place of repentance where I was finally saved. God was working something in my life. And there's hundreds of things that you would do if you could, that you can't. Praise God for those. But I, I just wanted to share that with you. So I really think, even though the word is much maligned, I think what we come up with is this word, author, when it comes to the evil things that happen in people's lives, is still the best verb. This everything now there's a difference between the author of a story and the world of the story. For instance, uh, Duncan killed was killed by Macbeth. When you're reading the story, do we read that story and say, do you know who's to blame for this? It's Shakespeare. Shakespeare is culpable for the death of Duncan. No, we don't. Because the world of the story is different than the world of the author. But everything that's happening is God's story. And this is a real story that's playing out in a very, in a very cursed world. And God is ordaining the characters but we lay the blame at the like for instance we lay the blame for Duncan's death right at the feet of Macbeth in the story in the real world we don't blame the author of the th author of the things for the things that happen we blame the character can you imagine if we did <laughs> you you we would be uh, we'd be arresting uh, all these uh, to these cop, these producers of these cop shows, <laughs> this character died, and it's it's the fault of uh, Rob Reiner or whoever it is to produce it or wrote it or something like that. Uh, we we recognize the difference between this world that we're in and the one that is above this world, working all things for good. But we have to lay back and say that the author of all things, the ones permitting, the one that. Gave leave to Pilate and said, all right, Pilate, go ahead. Give your decree, give your order, and have him crucified. 
God ordained it. God caused it. Pilate's guilty. Why? Because Pilate was doing what he wanted to do for whatever reasons he had. He was the character, but God was the one in the scenes working all things towards good, and that's ultimately what we have with our relationship with God, between God and the evil things that happen. Going back to Joseph's testimony, God meant it for good. And I can honestly say if someone, if someone beats me up and as I go outside this store, uh, goes out, if I go outside these doors, if God beats me or God has people beat me up, throw me into prison, and I spend the rest of my life in a dungeon, God meant it to, for me for good. And God was not aloof. God was not sitting there wondering what happened what, or uh, I didn't plan for this. Let me, let me try to figure out what's God brings the things in my life that happens to pass. And he's a good God for it. Even when the people do evil to me, he brought those things to pass because, and because he's a good God for it. So that's the problem of evil, and I hope that's been helpful, even though I kind of meandered a little bit. Just three things that, uh, that frame ends here with on this chapter. And by the way, to, uh, next week we'll start on uh, God's knowledge. God is all-knowing. But three things frame ends up here. He says, number one, the normative perspective, human beings have no right to bring accusations against God. Because whatever God's doing, God... God is greater than us, and, uh, and God is the one that knows and loves, and, and, God, and God is the righteous one. We are the unrighteous. Uh, we have no right to bring accusations against God. Situationally, he says God will always bring good out of evil, always. There is no evil thing that happens in this world that God is not bringing good from it. And then he says the existential perspective. God will comfort us so that our hearts are fully assured of the justice and righteousness of his actions. If we're not being comforted right now by the evil things that happen, we will be one day when God wipes away all tears. And we are forever with him where there is no more evil. All right, so that's it. Next week we'll start with God's knowledge. I hope, I hope we uh, had some good things to speak about as far as the problem of evil and some better ways for us to talk about it. Uh, any questions, complaints, or grievances? Yes. God made, God made Adam upright. <laughs> and he decided he was, man, that fruit looks better than God's command. <laughs> For whatever other reasons he had. I'm sorry I picked on you today, Thomas, about the... Okay. <laughs> Thanks for not uh, throwing a book at me <laughs> while I used you as an example. <laughs> All right. I'm good to be among loved ones today. We got about 10 minutes before the next hour.